welcome to Hazel and Katniss and Harry and Star, a young adult literature podcast, their film and television adaptations, and everything in between. I'm Joe. And I'm Brenna. And our show is created on the traditional lands of the Haudenosaunee, the Huron-Wendat, and the Anishinaabe on lands connected to the Toronto Purchase Treaty 13 of 1805. And on the Tukumloops Te Sequetan territory within the unceded traditional lands of Sequetan Ulu. And today's text, Crush, well, the setting isn't super clear, but it was filmed in Syracuse, New York, which is the traditional home of the Haudenosaunee and Onondaga peoples. I need to be on my A game to get into Cal Arts. Through your medium of choice, show us your happiest moment. No pressure, though. Paige! Come on, no edibles before school. We've talked about this. That would be my best friend, Dylan. He's kind of like my platonic soulmate. You think that your crush on Gabriella Campos is Cal Artworthy? This semester, I'm going to make my move. Oh, yeah? Name one time that you've made a move. Is she in slow motion again? Yeah. Music playing in the background? Mm-hmm. You are a lost cause. It's time for you to move on. There are plenty of other queer options for you to date. Like who? What about Chantel? Hell no. She's tried to put a love spell on me at least six times. Wait, duh. What about AJ? Why would I ever do that? That's Gabby's sister. Hey, what about Amy? Gateway gay. She's fingered every girl in the school. So what? I'm sure she's washed her hands. Hey. (laughs) Are you coming out today? I've actually, I've been out for a really long time. I'm extremely gay. I was actually talking about track tryouts. Right. Maybe I'll see you later. Bye, so Gabby. long. Really? You? Try, try off? Listen up! Uh, AJ, you gonna train Paige. Isn't that literally your job as coach? My job as coach is to motivate through fear. <laughs> so track. Why? I thought you were more interested in art. Since you asked. And a bit feels right to me. Don't be afraid to draw something a little more vulnerable. Now I have to become an athlete, make the perfect thing for CalArts, and pick the right girl. I haven't kissed anyone. I don't know how to kiss. Yeah, you're probably a terrible kisser. You need to teach me. No. What? What? Ew. No means no, Paige. Come on. And Joe... Mm-hmm. For the first time ever, I think, in our show's history, one of the performers is a Native Hawaiian actress. Yeah, this is actually a very diverse cast when you start to dig into it. It really is. And uh, it's a very queer cast. Like, Mm -hmm. almost everybody in the cast, I think, is openly queer. And um, here's the thing, Joe. Something we've Mm -hmm. talked about a lot on the show is the the kind of Highlander effect that we often get with diverse texts, which is the sense of, like, there's only going to be one. And so we have these expectations for it to be perfect. Mm-hmm. And this film is not perfect. No. It's fun. Yep. It's fluffy. Mm-hmm. It's enjoyable. It's yes. hella diverse. It's uh-huh. super queer. And it just gets to be. Mm-hmm. I think that's kind of cool. Yeah, it doesn't have to set a certain bar or standard, right? I mean, when you read interviews with the actresses in particular, they do talk about the fact that like, oh, we don't tend to see ourselves represented on screen. And I think there is something to be said for like, yeah, a lot of these uh, cast members are women of color and they are, yes, openly queer. And that is 
I don't want to say a novelty, but it's a rarity and it's great to see, but also no one goes into Crush saying, oh, well, this movie has to be perfect. It has to be the pinnacle of uh, a queer rom-com. And I think to that effect, it actually works out well, right? Because this film isn't aspiring to be anything more than what it is, which is light and fluffy and delightful. It is all of those things. I really enjoyed it. It's a lot of fun. And yeah, it's... I don't know, we're getting to this place where there's like enough of these kinds of stories in the world that mm-hmm. they maybe only have to be as revolutionary or as groundbreaking as any rom-com is expected to be. It's kind of it's mm-hmm. like when they started making a ton of Star Wars and it was like, I don't love all the Star Warses that are out right now, but how exciting is it to just be able to have like a mediocre Star Wars and know there's still more Star Wars coming? It's that. Right. But, but for queer cinema. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I mean, I do think that it's helped by the fact that we have so many different streaming sites. Like we talked about this and kind of did some hand wringing and some bemoaning when we were talking about important issues like abortion and pregnancy mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff. Like even uh, school shootings like earlier this year. And we were saying, oh, but how many people are actually getting to see these films if they're only debuting on places like HBO Max or Amazon or Hulu? But I think in this case, we can also flip that script and say, oh, well, there's so many of these movies coming out nowadays that in a way you can just be like, I'm going to sit my butt down on the couch on a Saturday afternoon. There's probably about five different films or TV shows that I can watch that's going to give me just that light and fluffy content that I'm really looking for. And that is a great thing. Like, there's such a demand for content nowadays that people are saying yes to things that would have previously been considered niche, and it would have been hard to have found funding, casting, so on, to get it off the ground. And speaking of casting, I think that's a major strength of this movie. Like, there are an awful lot of very charming people crammed into this cast. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a really likable cast. It's a very watchable cast. And I said this earlier on Twitter, but I think the adult cast in particular is very strong, very over-the-top funny. The film is kind of doing that thing where the teen characters are kind of existing in reality and all the adults are sort of... Ridiculous. Like a little bit off their rockers ridiculous yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's a vibe i really enjoy like it, that is a ya trope that i think took a back seat for a while as we went through this moment of all these ya shows where we had to spend a lot of time with the parents right mm-hmm. and the parents became central to the plot line and i'm really happy to be back to like larger than life kind of goofball extreme parents who are really just there to provide comic relief more than anything Yeah, yeah. Like, we've got Megan Mullally as our main character, Paige's mom. And then she's having this, like, highly sexualized, but it's all, like, just (laughs) jokey and kind of double entendres with the coach who was played by Asif Manvi. And then we also have the school principal slash guidance counselor. I couldn't really figure out exactly who she was supposed to be, but... um, She's the principal. Principal Collins. Sorry, Principal Collins, yeah. uh, Who was played by Michelle Buteau. And yeah, all of these are hyper-realized versions of what adults are, right? It's almost Mm -hmm. like if you ask teenagers, hey, what are the adults like in your life? They would say, oh my god, they're so embarrassing. They're so strict. They're so (laughs) ridiculous and, and wrapped up in dumb things that don't matter to me, like Renaissance fairs. And that's how oh you God. get these kinds of characters. Like, they're not meant to be real people at all. 
No, not at all. They are absolute cartoon characters. I think Asif Manvi is almost being like the straight man while still being ridiculous to mm-hmm. the kind of hypersexualized Mega Malali character. Yeah, Michelle Buteau's character, the principal completely obsessed with Renaissance Club. Like, just, it's funny. And mm-hmm. they the way they play off each other is funny, but there's also something... I don't know, quite um, sweet and well done about the way the adults interact in mostly age-appropriate ways with the younger characters. Like, there's not... Megan Mullally's character is a very sex-positive and mm-hmm. consent-focused mother, and some of the things she says may seem outrageous, but, you know, compared to the kind of boundary blurring we often encounter in YA, there's suspiciously little of it there. It's kind of nice. Mm-hmm. I mean, we should note that this has the same kind of supportive non-reality feel that we talked about oh, yeah. length in Heartstopper, where you're just like, there's no danger of being queer in mm-hmm. this world, right? Like, everyone is so enthusiastic and supportive. The parents are all completely on board. You know, it, it's very, like, woke high school, but, like, mm-hmm. in a positive sense, where you just get to say, oh, being queer, having crushes, you know, wanting to have sex, none of these are problems. These are merely obstacles en route to finding someone that you want to be with. It's so nice. It really is. We've talked about this before, you know, but like queer kids and non-white kids and like kids of all sorts deserve to have fantasy stories they can hang out in. Mm -hmm. And I think that this story could be very, very refreshing if the world you live in is not so queer and sex positive as the world that Crush inhabits. Mm -hmm. But Brenda, we've been we've been going on at length. And what (laughs) if people haven't watched Crush? What is this movie actually about? Okay. So our protagonist is Paige Evans, and she is a high school student who loves art. She hopes one day to get into this special summer program at Cal Arts, but she's really stuck. When we mm-hmm. meet her, she's kind of got whatever the art equivalent of writer's block is. Yes. She has to answer this prompt, what is your happiest moment? And she can't Brrr. do it. I mean, it's Such a crummy a prompt, prompt, by the way. But it's so <laughs> realistic. <laughs> it is. At the same time, there is a great artist on campus at her high school, someone named King Pun, who vandalizes the school (laughs) with pun-based graffiti. It's so good. Um, And the art, by the way, is awesome. Like, oftentimes when we see graffiti in movies, it's really bad. This is great graffiti. I would frame all of this graffiti. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. It's basically uh, like a teenager's version of what Banksy would be. Yes, totally. Like a G-rated teen Banksy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Because Paige is the student at school who most talks about wanting to be an artist, she's widely suspected as being King Pun. And so ultimately she gets pulled into the office and told like, we're going to have to suspend you for being this graffiti artist. And she's like, I'm not a graffiti artist, I promise, and I can figure out who's doing it. It's a very YA, like... (laughs) (laughs) She's like, I'm a legitimately terrible artist who makes bad art. Don't confuse me with the creative king pun art. (laughs) It's really true. And so she ends up in this, like, extremely YA plot Mm -hmm. where she's going to try to figure out who really is king pun to stave off being suspended and to keep an eye on her the coach is going to put her on the track team so that she has somewhere she has to be after school where the administration can keep an eye on her by Mm -hmm. the way joe 
The part where they bury crappy athlete Paige in the 4x100 relay mm-hmm. really, really hit home to me because that is exactly where crappy runner me always got put on track and field days. Oh, <laughs> so really? Yeah, you put the slow person like second or third in the relay, and that way the other people in the relay can make up for their lack of speed, mm-hmm. ideally, before the end. And you can yeah. maybe not tank the whole day's event. Anyway, Paige and I, we have a lot in common. Yeah. <laughs> At the same time, obviously, there's a love triangle. Paige has been in love with Gabby her whole life, and she's always wanted to kind of get up the nerve to ask her out, but never has been able to. And suddenly on the scene is AJ, who is on the track team as well, and hoping to help her investigate and find out who King Pun is, or is she? And they fall in love. Also, it's Gabby's twin sister. So yes, like, really, we're yes. talking about like a sibling romantic drama. Yes, and of course there's house parties, there's a game of seven minutes in heaven, there's a track meet, there's a whole bunch of stuff that goes on. All this to say, at the end of the film, Paige realizes AJ's the one she really wants to be with, but AJ was King Pun all along, Joe! <gasps> I never Who could have seen coming. that coming? No one. <laughs> Everyone. <laughs> and they kiss the end. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I found reassuring about Crush is, you know, we we talked it up as like, oh, isn't it delightful that we have this? It's fine to just be light and fluffy. I also find something incredibly reassuring about the fact that the story is so familiar and almost bare bones, like nothing in this movie matters and nothing extremely important happens. Like, I honestly just kind of sat on the couch tuned my brain out and was like look at the pretty people making smoochies (laughs) that's basically what it is that is basically what it is joe why don't you tell the people about all the pretty people in the movie (laughs) okay so this movie is directed by uh, sammy cohen i looked up sammy cohen don't really recognize much of the other things that she has done although it does appear that she's done like almost like sketch comedy kind of uh web series and that sort of thing we've got rowan blanchard who i think you know from girl meets I world her. i believe mm-hmm. yes she was the star of girl meets world and she also has a very fiery and aggressively feminist instagram i love her oh, good okay um mm-hmm. I won't lie, I found that Paige sort of suffers from boring protagonist syndrome. Like, watching her struggle to join the track team when she's really an artist, I was just like, oh boy, okay. But um, (laughs) the good thing is is that I found her likable enough, and then she's surrounded by far more dynamic personalities. Like, I don't think it's Blanchard's problem, I think it's actually the character. The character of Paige is just kind of like, oh, you don't like to do anything. That doesn't make you particularly interesting. (laughs) Agreed. Um, Okay, so then we have Isabella Ferreira making a repeat appearance on our pod after the not great things we had to say about what they did to her character in Love, Victor, season three earlier Mm -hmm. this year. Admittedly, Gabby doesn't get much to do either, but it's primarily because the plot of the film is so fixated through Paige's perspective. Gabby can only be perfect. So I did see a yeah. bunch of reviews that say, you know, oh, she she gets to become a more interesting character when Paige's kind of art filter love perspective wears off because she's becoming more interested in AJ. And 
I don't know that I entirely agree with that. I think Gabby sort of remains a mostly uncomplicated, just beautiful girl throughout most of this. But also, yeah. I can't say that that isn't true for most of the characters in the film. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Um, okay, and then AJ is the one who's kind of the revelation to me. Obviously, I have seen Moana, but we're talking about a voice performance versus a mm-hmm. live action performance. And I found that Aulili Cravello does a really great job. Super likable, very sexy, very like just fit and fun. And you're like, yeah, I could totally see you as the person that people pass over because you're not quote unquote as beautiful as your sister. And yet, of course, she's obviously everything you could hope for in a romantic interest. Yeah, I 100% agree. I found her really, really magnetic and fun to watch. And I also, you know, she does a good job of selling the sort of chip on the shoulder, slightly sarcastic sister Mm -hmm. of the popular girl without becoming unlikable as a result, which often is what happens to those kinds of characters. So I was pleased. Yeah, like in a in a way, it reminded me a little bit of the Anna Paquin performance from She's All That, except that mm. here she actually is the love interest. She's not just the sarcastic, quippy kind of like flirts in, uh, steals the show for a hot moment and then has to recede because we need to get back to the A plot. Mm, agreed, agreed, agreed. I, I, um, I think that in general, it's a very traditional love triangle oh, with yeah. very traditional types. Mm-hmm. And yet... I think all three of these actresses are charming separately. They have good chemistry together and they're fun to watch. They're just really fun to watch. Yeah. Yeah, Like watching AJ and Paige sneak around the party and trying to figure out who King Hun is like they're amateur sleuths, but terrible at it. So bad at it. Very amusing. Yes. Agreed completely. So, Brenna, I'm interested to know then, how did you feel about the characters of Dylan and Stacy, who are played by Tyler Alvarez and Tila Dunn, respectively? Very famous YouTubers, from what I've gathered. I'm so old, I don't know who any of these people are. <laughs> um, they have a kind of secondary B-plot where they're both running for class president, but they're also dating and they just make out all the time. I'm curious, what did yeah. you think about these two? I don't know, you know, I really, there's a lot of humor built into the kind of confidence porn aesthetic. Like they both really get (laughs) off on the fact that the other one is good at running for office. That's like their thing. Um, And there's something kind of, I don't know, funny and playful about that. I just, I didn't love their storyline. Like it's just not as interesting as anything AJ is doing at any moment on the screen. Mm -hmm. So they suffer from that. But I think... Yeah, I don't know. Joe and I have been having this conversation offline because one of the reasons why Dylan is a hard sell in this role is because he he reads also as very queer. Yes. But he's apparently not. The role right. is apparently not queer, although it does read queer. So mm-hmm. it's hard to be persuaded by the relationship between Dylan and Stacy. Although I will say I quite love the friendship between Dylan and Paige. Oh, and yeah. I especially love their dynamic when Megan Mullally is around. Like the way Dylan is sort of constantly being scandalized by Paige's mom, I really enjoy. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, full, full agree on all of that. I found that this was actually 
my weird own slightly internalized homophobia acting up where I saw him and my gaydar started to ping quite strongly. And I was like, oh, cool. Okay, so we've got queer best friends and that's where this story is going to go. He's going to help to support her. Hopefully he'll get a love interest. And then I thought, oh, this is going to be a coming out story for him because he's going to realize that Stacy is not the right one for me. And even to the point where, like, he's dressed in tie-dyed clothes the entire movie and maybe this is just me being like a total old fogey not reading the fashion sense of the teens but i was like well he seems to be coded queer by even the costuming and then yeah alvarez's performance in general it just it gives off very strong queer vibes and then you realize that's not the intention of the film and i was like ooh, okay is this a me problem is this just you know what they they tried to cast a queer actor and in this case it just wasn't the best fit for the role but needless to say i like alvarez's acting but i do wish that this role had been queer because i think it would have been a better fit for his talent yeah i agree and while we're talking about maybe casting choices or well in this case i think it's misuse can we talk a little bit about aya Mm -hmm. so aya is gabby's on again off again non-binary date they yes. they are sometimes dating and sometimes not and <laughs> they have a contentious relationship <laughs> yes and the whole bit about aya is that they are also like a social media superstar mm-hmm. like there's a running joke that the other kids in school can't afford to have aya as a follower because mm-hmm. they are like that huge on instagram and tiktok yes and i was When we met that character, I was like, oh, this is great. Like, this is an interesting additional layer to this triangle that's Mm -hmm. pushing the boundaries of even a more straightforward queer romance. We've now got this non-binary character who's here. But yeah, no. (laughs) No. I I feel like Aya is useful when they need to make, like, a point about Mm -hmm. King Pun's social media presence. But otherwise a totally un slash underused character and one who I was really interested in and wanted to know more about. Yeah, it's funny, right? We're seeing almost the barometer move in these kinds of stories. We've said it so many times in just this single episode where it's like, it's fine that this movie doesn't aspire to be anything more and it doesn't have to be. But then also Hard to Be was like, this is kind of like a basic love story. Like you're going to introduce this fascinating non-binary character and give them nothing to do. And it just makes me now hungry for a movie featuring a non-binary protagonist. Like I want to see what that relationship looks like. So it's kind of funny though, because on this topic you're raising of the needle moving, it's almost like the non-binary best friend or Mm -hmm. non-binary love interest or non-binary secondary character is becoming what the queer secondary character once was, right? Which is Uh this person who emerges on the screen who we want to know more about. And like, checking my watch, we're going to have to wait another 15 years before we get that meaningful story. And it's just a shame because the film has so much space for so many different kinds of experiences that I think Mm -hmm. they could have opened up a little more space for Aya. Uh, Yeah, because especially with YA media, right? Like we're used to seeing somewhat thinly stretched out characters, right? Like Mm -hmm. we rarely get a huge amount of depth, particularly in things like comedies or romantic comedies, right? Like it's not always the purpose to say, here's the rich interior life of these characters. (laughs) It's like, do you want them to hook up? Yes or no? Answer is always yes. And that that (laughs) is fine, right? But 
I think as we start to see more and varied representations on screen, it also confirms to us that there are fascinating other stories to tell, right? Like there's always new interesting characters that you could be exploring and when you get one that you haven't seen or you haven't seen as much of you just think "Ooh, that feels like a taster but now I want more yes yeah that's exactly where I was at with this film I think Mm -hmm. I mean at the end of the day one of the things that I most liked about Crush was just how it feels comfortable being what it is like All Mm -hmm. of these criticisms that we have at the film, they're not detriments. Like, I'm not actively going out and telling everyone, you need to watch Crush. It's like the best film I've seen this year. (laughs) But if anybody says, hey, I'm just looking for something, you know, a little bit slight that's going to give me the warm fuzzies, it's a really easy recommend because it knows what it is. I totally agree. This is such a good sleepover movie. This is Mm -hmm. such a good hot summer night movie. It's... It's really nice to see a film that fits into that very traditional popcorn category that isn't just white people, frankly, because most of those movies are just white people and just straight stories. And, you know, it's I think if this is the benefit of multiple streaming services that we get to see this kind of content and it's worth noting, Joe, that in Canada, of course, we get most of our Hulu content on the Disney app. So that's where yep. we find Crush mm-hmm. on the Disney app, which I think, you know, it, it's filed under star content, <laughs> which I'm supposed to <laughs> yes. know is different in some way. Um, but it is really interesting. You know, my, my critique to call back to what you were saying about, you know, the abortion film that we watch and those kinds of things is like, I don't think of HBO Max as super accessible, but I do think Mm -hmm. of the Disney app as super accessible and Hulu as as pretty accessible. So I think it's cool that these stories are floating out there. I wondered if before we leave it, we should talk a little bit about the tension, which is, you know, I said off the top, it's really, I think, nice to offer a fantasy world to kids who don't get to see realist fiction set in their own fantasy worlds very often, mm-hmm. you know, in this sort of very queer, safe, very diversity safe. Nobody's racist. Nobody's homophobic. The world mm-hmm. is just extremely accepting here. Right. And I wonder, you know, we're also in a moment where, like, a lot of high schools are increasingly unsafe for mm-hmm. queer kids. Yep. We're particularly seeing that, you know, in different kinds of legislation coming out in the States and more and more distressing court rulings for the Supreme Court. Yeah. And I guess I wonder, I'm going to get you to put on your your HKHS official gay person hat. And, <laughs> <laughs> but I guess, I mean, to me, there's there's two arguments here, right? There is, you know, this is media that offers kids who might have really crappy day-to-day life at high school a mm-hmm. safe place to hide out and hang out. Absolutely. And I think there's another argument that would say this is just closing eyes to the reality of being a queer teen in the U.S. right now. And I'm wondering <sighs> where you might come down on that. Yeah. I mean, I'm very much pro there is a need for all media. So I think it's important that we continue to get films like The Fallout and Plan B, which are the two films that we've kind of referenced as being those HBO Max properties. We talked about them way earlier this year, but we said, you know, these are important films that are trying to do and say a little bit more. And then when you contrast those, Crush comes off as as just candy fluff right like oh this is a material shouldn't Mm -hmm. we be striving for harder more button 
depressing, you know, politically minded films. But I would argue that it's so important that we do just have films like this. Like, people aren't yeah. always in the mood for something that's really hard and difficult. And there's something to be said for, I throw this movie on, I watch it with my maybe closeted queer child, and all of a sudden mm. they feel comfortable coming out to me, whereas previously they didn't. Or they have an epiphany and say, you know what, I also find Gabby or AJ or Paige attractive. Maybe I need to reconcile my own sexual identity. Like, there's a place in a time for movies like Crush in the same way that there are for the really politically minded call to activism and arms kind of movies as well. Yeah, I agree with you. And I also think it's worth remembering that these kinds of films and stories, like one of the reasons why we argue for them so vehemently is because you can't talk about something you don't have a vocabulary for. Mm -hmm. And the very straightforward way this film talks about being a lesbian, being bisexual, yes. the very frank language around like dental dams. Oh, we don't use those anymore. Mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. there's all kinds of vocabulary here that, you know, a kid might not have access to or might yeah. not know how to use in context. And a film like this, even as fluffy and frivolous as it is, um, offers that. And I think it's really important. Like you can't know how to describe yourself until you know what the words are. Yes. And I think the accessibility factor becomes a big issue as well, right? Like we've talked about why it's important that these are easy to find and easy to access. Like if it's on Disney, if it's on Hulu, you probably have access to it. And I think there's a value to that as well, right? It's giving mm -hmm. people language. It's giving them comfort. It's giving them representation, but it's also not as hard to find. I don't have to go to a movie theater and potentially out myself in an mm -hmm. unsafe situation to say, I would like to see these two women kiss. Yeah. That's, that's important. It is important. There's not quite enough kissing in this film, I have to say, Joe. Honestly, you've got all of these super attractive <laughs> people. Come on. Especially because we've just watched Heartstopper and Love, Victor, where we get all our kissing needs fulfilled. But now it's like, this isn't enough kissing for <laughs> queer romance. We require more in 2022, Crush. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to have to demand more kissing, unfortunately. We're going to need people to step <laughs> it up on the kissing front. Mm -hmm. All right, Joe. So let's talk about where we are headed next. Next week, we're actually going to uh, keep things a little bit romantic, but we are going to leave planet Earth. We're going to check out HBO Max's Moonshot with Cole Sprouse and Lana Condor. Uh, this one is a bit of an oddity, but it should make for a fun episode. But of course, if folks uh, want to be doing their band book club homework, you should be reading The Absolutely True Diary of a Part-Time Indian by Sherman Alexie. All right, so you know what you're reading for book club, and you know what you're watching. So if folks want to get in touch with us about either of those, especially book club, you can send us an email, hkhspod at gmail.com. Or if you want to find us on the Twitter, it's hkhspod or on the hashtag hkhspod. Joe, if they want to get in touch with you directly, how do they do that? Uh, you could reach me at beast on my remote, and that's the letter B. And I'm at Brenna C. Gray. That's gray with an A. So uh, I will see you on the on the page. Yes, and I will see you on the screen? Question mark? Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye-bye.
they do talk about the fact that like oh we don't tend to see ourselves represented on screen on screen 